0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and each week we scour the internet looking for interesting new books, and we interview the authors of those books. This week, I'm very pleased to say we have Dorothy Crawford on the show, and we'll be talking about her book, Virus Hunt, The Search for the Origin of HIV. Most people think of history as the history of humans, and I think quite properly, but there are histories of other things, and Dorothy has written a book about one of those other things, namely the HIV virus. And in so doing, she has kind of expanded the boundaries of history, because yes, as I say, viruses too have histories. And this one is very interesting, and so is the detective work that went into finding out when it jumped to humans, and in fact, when it first invested, if I might put it that way, uh, chimpanzee populations in Africa. Some of the mechanisms and techniques that the biologists who are at the center of our story used are going to be a little bit unfamiliar to everybody, but I think that in the course of time, we'll be able to explain them so that the story becomes clear. In any event, I want to thank Dorothy for writing the book, and I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome to the New Books Network, Dorothy.
1: Well, thank you. That's very kind,
0: Dorothy. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes. Well, um, I qualified um, in medicine as a doctor, but fairly quickly went into uh, research and uh, became a, a research virologist. Um, I've worked all my life, uh, all my professional life, on on a virus called Epstein Barr virus. So I don't want to give the impression that I that the the work in this book is my work because it isn't actually, it's the work of colleagues. Um, so obviously I've always kept an interest in HIV and I did a little bit of work on it at the beginning, but um, I'm a research virologist uh, working on this herpesvirus, Epstein-Barr virus. I um, had have, I, I have the chair of medical microbiology at the um, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and then in 1997 I moved to Edinburgh to take the chair of uh, of medical microbiology at the university there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, I don't quite remember how I got into writing popular science books anyway. It's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I wrote one, and after every one I write, I say, right, that's it. Don't anybody let me write another book. Um, but I, somehow I just seem to get into it again. I don't seem to able to stop. Um, so this is my um, third popular science book, I think. And I've written others about the history of medicine in edinburgh for example as well
0: mm-hmm. i keep promising my wife that i'll never write another book and i keep promising myself <laughs> that i'll never write another book because i
1: know
0: they just don't pay i don't know <laughs> i'm a not strange. that bothered
1: about that but it's yeah. just so <laughs> exhausting so sort of draining somehow. yeah it
0: really is absolutely the whole thing but you, you know, know
1: and having said that i obviously enjoy it because yeah. i keep
0: doing it <laughs> yeah there's there's something in it It's sublime i think is what we would call it writing books is sublime
1: yeah it's Painful, nice, but rewarding.
0: um all right um could you tell us why you wrote Virus Hunt, the search for the origin of HIV?
1: Yes. Well, as I say, it's not the virus I work on. Um, but uh, I did do some work on it very early on in the, in the 1980s. Um, and then I carried on with my own virus. But so it was actually when I moved to Edinburgh, and there was a specific um, – it was stimulated by going to a talk by uh, Professor Paul Sharp, who features in the book. He's an evolutionary uh, biologist – And um, he's the one who's put all the evolutionary trees together uh, for HIV and discovered where it came from and when it jumped to humans and things. So I was just so uh, excited by this talk I went to and absolutely fascinated by the sort of detective story that he told of work over 30 years or so that finally tracked down, you know, uh, where the virus came from and when it jumped to humans and then what it did after that. I just thought it would make an absolutely fascinating book.
0: Well, it did make an absolutely fascinating book. Well,
1: thank you. <laughs> I'm
0: glad <to> hear you. <laughs> um, yeah, the best way to write a good book is to start with a good story and good material. Yeah, you deserve a lot of credit for that. You picked a really good one. Um, wh- why? Let me ask this. What, why, one might ask, do we really care about the origins of HIV? I mean, yeah. I can understand spending you a lot of money on that. the cure and things, but wh- who cares where it came from?
1: Well, I think we should care a lot about where it came from, because um, if we're ever going to try and stop another such thing happening, mm-hmm. we need to know exactly where it came from and you know, how it got into the human population. And in this particular case, um, because it had been around for so long in Africa before we ever discovered it, it was actually very difficult to trace it back. Um, But, you know, if we don't know where they come from, it's like um, the flu virus, for example. We know that it comes from uh, birds, a new uh, strain of flu, um, and therefore we can monitor what's going on in birds Mm -hmm. and predict when we might get another pandemic. Uh, And so, you know, we should be doing the same with all viruses, really, uh, finding out where they come from and trying to stop them.
0: I think that's terrific. I, I don't recommend hiring historians as they're currently trained to do that work.
1: No, (laughs) I can't find (laughs) them. I I wish
0: historians could do it. I think so, too. I absolutely agree with you. Um, So uh, you begin your story with the discovery, if that's the right word, of the HIV virus itself. And just to tell a little anecdote, I remember um, giving blood in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. And I believe it was 1982. Mm -hmm. And at the blood bank, they had a sign that said, if you are Haitian or have recently been to Haiti, you can't give blood.
1: Yes,
0: I don't know if you remember this, but it was associated yes, with Haiti at the time. Yeah, and then it became the gay disease for yes. a while. Uh, and um, I, I didn't make the association at all until years after, obviously. But um, how, how was how was it discovered that the cause of AIDS is HIV, and, and who's responsible for that, and how did they do it?
1: Um, well, obviously, uh, as soon as it uh, as the disease came along, it it looked as if it was probably caused by a virus. I mean, it wasn't absolutely settled, but to the virologist anyway, it looked as if it was caused by a virus and it was obviously infectious and spreading within populations. And so uh, I guess almost every uh, group of virologists were trying to isolate a virus from infected material, from, you know, patients. And um, I guess the team in France, uh, in Paris, were the ones who just happened to get the virus first. I'm, I'm, in the book I addressed there was a lot of controversy going on uh, as to who actually first isolated the virus. There was a team in the United States and a team in France. But um, I think, you know, I wasn't involved in that, but, but eventually um, it has been settled, I think, that the French team isolated it first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, not that it matters, you know, no, it doesn't really, matter yeah. who isolated it first. What matters is yeah. that, that we then had the virus. You know, and so we could develop diagnostic tests, we could uh, trace the virus, you know, we could tell who was infected and who wasn't, and, you know, that was a huge breakthrough.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, give us some understanding of what it means to isolate the virus. I know a little bit about it. Viruses are, well, tell us what a virus is and how they are, <laughs> how they are divided into types.
1: Well, viruses are absolutely unique, and uh, they are tiny, obviously, I mean, uh, let they're me beyond tiny.
0: I mean, they're what? They're beyond tiny.
1: by tiny. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can't see them down a light microscope. You need an electron yeah, microscope to exactly. see them. They're yeah. so, like you know a few microns, and um, uh, basically, uh, whereas we've got like twenty thousand genes or something, they've got between two and a hundred or something like that. You know, most of them anyway. So they are tiny. They every other living in inverted commas organism. Is made up of cells. Viruses are particles, and so there is a huge debate about whether they really are living or not at the moment among scientists. But anyway, uh, whether they are or not, they're particles that can do absolutely nothing until they get inside a living cell. So they're parasites, and they, in order to reproduce themselves, they have to get inside a living cell. They have to hijack all the protein-making apparatus and all the rest of it to reproduce themselves. And that's how they survive, you know, and then they've got to jump to another um, susceptible person and infect them and on and on in a never-ending chain of infections in order to survive.
0: Mm -hmm. So one way to think about viruses, I don't know if this does damage to the concept, is that they are just the information for replication.
1: Yes. Yes. That's exactly what they are.
0: Yeah, they are hmm. DNA, really. Yeah, or is it well, RNA, I can't RNA. Remember. RNA. Yeah, that's Some right. Some of them have RNA, do you know. Yeah, and so uh, they're completely parasitic on Absolutely. cellular yes. beings. That's exactly yes. yeah, yeah. Uh huh. And um, the relationship between these viruses and uh, and beings that have cells—I don't know what to call those—it's uh, it, it, very old, isn't it? Uh,
1: yes. I mean, um, some people say, you know, which came first, yeah, the bacteria I was say, yeah. or viruses, but you can't have a parasitic organism uh, evolving first because it's got, a paras- it's got to be parasitic on something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there had to be cells around uh, when viruses, as we know them, evolved.
0: Mm-hmm. And these viruses are everywhere. And when I say everywhere, Absolutely, I mean really yes, everywhere.
1: We used to think, you know, because originally they were being isolated from people who were sick, uh, looking for the cause of their illness. We used to think you know, that they just cause diseases, but in fact, they're absolutely everywhere. Uh, they're in the sea. You know, there are something like 4 times 10 to the 30 of them in the sea. Uh, some geekers worked out that if you lined them all up together, they'd cover 10 million light years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're everywhere, basically, and they're, you know, they're not all causing disease, at least not in us. They're, they're controlling the bacterial populations in the seas, and, and they're controlling bacterial populations in our guts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they are quite useful. Mm
0: -hmm. There's something uh, remarkably admirable about their simplicity and beauty, I I think. I mean, obviously, they're terrible when they cause disease, but... I
1: think they're absolutely fascinating. I wouldn't have spent my whole life working on them if I didn't. I mean, they're incredible. Yeah, they are. I mean, the word clever, one shouldn't say, because, you know, they don't know. They haven't got a brain. They're not working things out, but... They're fantastic. Right. The way that they um, spread, you know, spread from one person to another is absolutely essential well, for their lifestyle. Otherwise, they'll just die out. Yeah. And the the ways that they have uh, evolved to spread from one person to another is extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned how they spread and things like this. Uh, cells, most cells at least, have many, many layers of mechanisms to make sure that things like viruses don't get in them. But the viruses yes. always get in them. How, how do they, you know, for example, cell walls are particularly designed for this, but the viruses seem to get through the cell walls. How
1: do they <laughs> well, do that? Well, the thing is that viruses can evolve so much quicker than we can, and, so, and they mutate so quickly, you know, that uh, if one of them can't get in, then another one that's mutated slightly probably can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, they, the DNA, for example, of HIV, mutates a million times more quickly than our DNA mm-hmm. mutates. So really, we're always on the back foot. You know, they're always one step ahead.
0: Yeah. So that brings up the question, if they're changing so quickly, how do we divide them into uh, clean types? Or can we do that?
1: Uh, Yes, because, uh, I mean, first of all, it was done on the structure of the virus particle because they look different. Um, But obviously, more recently, it's done on the genome sequence. Mm -hmm. And they do have um, genes which are typical of of, uh, particular virus families.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So, so HIV belongs to the retrovirus family, for example, and you can recognize it because of the structure of
0: its genome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, just again on on the on uh, kind of background information, and, and again, this may sound like a really simple question: why is the um, why is the HIV virus deadly in humans? What does it do?
1: It's deadly because it infects the particular cell which is a CD4 lymphocyte, which is absolutely critical for our immune response.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when it's effect, infected and knocked off enough of them, we just can't produce an immune response to it. Mm-hmm. And or, neither can we produce an immune response to any other infectious organism.
0: Right, so the and bacteria, so, you know, our, right, yeah.
1: As you know, people with AIDS actually die of opportunistic infections yeah. because the virus has knocked off their immune system.
0: Right. That's it and in many cases the uh, the bacteria for example that are allowed to multiply and things like this they're already in us.
1: Absolutely. Because yes. we're
0: hosts of lots of bacteria. Yes, they help absolutely. us every day. And viruses. Yeah. yeah. And viruses, yeah. 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 That that's particularly um I don't know what to say about that. That's that's. And so it was it evolved essentially to to infect these particular kinds of cells.
1: Well, it's been doing that uh for, you know, um millennia. In- yeah in its previous host, basically, mm-hmm. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Retrovirals, mm. yeah. So, okay, so the French discover it, and um, and some people start to work on the origins of this thing. Did anybody have an initial hypothesis as to where it came from, or...? Um,
1: I mean, most of our new, in inverted commas, infections come from animals. So I suppose, you know, it, it was thought that it must have jumped from somewhere. And then um, one of these coincidences happened, in, uh, that, that, you know, often happen in science and give you a lead, happened, and that was that um, monkeys at some um, primate centers in the United States started coming down with an AIDS-like illness, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the scientists isolated the virus from those animals, and it turned out to be a retrovirus which was very similar to HIV,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was called simian immunodeficiency virus, mm-hmm. and so that pointed the finger at primates, basically, And at the same time, um, West Central Africa appeared to be um, the sort of place where uh, the epidemic had been going on the longest in Africa. And so primates in West Central Africa became the focus of, of, uh, you know, the virus hunters, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Now, there's controversy all over uh, AIDS and HIV. We know, for example, that uh, some scientists and some people who are not scientists disagreed with those who said that AIDS uh, was caused by HIV. Were there people that disagreed that it came from the simian um, HIV that said, no, this can't be? Was there any sort of controversy around it?
1: Um, I think there's not particular controversy about whether it came, where it came from, the animal it came from, mm-hmm. um, which is the chimpanzee. But um, there was controversy about how, there still is, about how it jumped from uh, the chimpanzee to humans.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that. How, how was <laughs> <Okay>. what, <laughs> Yes, let's talk about that. that how, how, you know, again, um, the, there are many uh, sort of uh, scenarios present themselves, but uh, how did they go about studying this question, the people that were interested?
1: Um, well, the fact is that none of us are ever going to know the answer. Yeah. Um, but it seems that in um, West Central Africa, where we assume that it jumped from chimpanzees to humans, um, the... Um, the local people do hunt um, primates, and indeed hunt chimpanzees, and therefore the the most likely theory, and uh, most people believe, is the so-called the cut hunter theory that you know some hunter was um, um, hunting, killing, butchering a chimpanzee, and you only have to get a small amount of blood, you know, into a cut or an abrasion or something for for the virus to transfer. And so that seems the most likely scenario. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: However, there are a few... Well, there was a hypothesis um, called the OBP hypothesis, which is the oral polio vaccine hypothesis, um, which suggested that um, in the 1950s, when uh, polio vaccine was being made in the laboratory, it was grown in monkey kidney cells. Mm -hmm. And so this hypothesis suggested that maybe... Chimpanzee cells were used and maybe they were infected with the virus mm. and maybe it got into the vaccine and maybe um, During one of the early vaccine trials which indeed did was carried out in the area of West Central Africa That was the sort of hot spot. Maybe it transmitted that way
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. But in fact um, when people worked out when scientists worked out exactly when the virus jumped to humans the date just didn't line up because these trials were being done in the 1950s, and it turns out that the virus jumped much earlier than that, somewhere yeah. around 1900.
0: In yeah. fact, yeah. Let's talk about that in just a second because that's a fascinating story in itself. How they how they figured that out? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. The the uh. It really is a fascinating story. I can't wait to hear you talk about it. the <laughs> um, the, uh, the how. You know, most people will say, "Well, you know, how in how in the heck is a as a virus that's adapted to uh, attack the immune systems of uh, um." Of chimpanzees, how's it going to jump the I guess what you know, the phrase that occurs to me is species barrier, if there is such a thing. How does it do that?
1: You mean how does it manage to get a hold on?
0: Yeah, in, in other in words, humans? if it was yeah, if it was adapted to uh, chimpanzees, uh, humans are different than chimpanzees, so
1: yeah, but, but only two percent or something mm-hmm. at the at the DNA level. Mm-hmm. You know, we are they are our closest relatives. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you know, we are very closely related to them, and it just so happens. That the molecule that this virus uses uh, to get into chimpanzee lymphocytes—that is, CD4 molecule—is very, very similar to the CD4 molecule on our
0: lymphocytes. Mm-hmm.
1: Similar enough for the virus not to know the difference.
0: Is that right? That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, this goes. This goes back to the. Uh, you know, people will often say that uh, humans share—I don't know—some outrageous percentage, ninety-eight percent of their genes with chimpanzees. But isn't it the case that we share something like fifty percent of our genes with earthworms? Or something like this. Yes, but,
1: yeah. but there's a difference between fifty and ninety-eight percent. Right. Well, the thing so I'm I'm, to, I, I don't, I yeah. don't think have CD No, they don't. The, th-
0: the thing I'm trying to point out here, though, is is that the, the basic mechanisms, the kind of things that work, they stay. That's true. Right. And yes. so uh, their cellular yes. mechanisms are exactly like ours. And not maybe yes. not exactly, but but pretty much exactly like ours, because these are just the building blocks of any multicellular life.
1: Yeah. Sure. But yeah. as you get more uh, complex, mm-hmm. the the um, sophistication of the immune system is just incredible, you yeah. know, and so ours obviously would be most similar to chimpanzees, and that's what's happened really that's uh-huh. you know
0: yeah no no that's that's right yeah so um so it was pretty easy to jump the species barrier now uh, let's go to this question we just mentioned, and that is uh, how did they how did they how did they figure out uh when it jumped
1: well um as I said uh these viruses mutate very quickly. And so um, if you start with one virus and it produces offspring, you know, 24 hours later, those are all producing offspring. So you've got literally billions of the things and they're all slightly different. So they're all mutating um, all the time. And you can, um, so you can track back following these mutations backwards and uh, work out the time at which the uh, population that you've got all arose from a single virus. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And so in a
1: sense... Because the mutations occur at regular intervals.
0: Right. I was going to say it's like a clock. It is
1: like a clock. It's It's called the molecular clock. Yeah,
0: it's ticking at a regular interval. Yes. So the more ticks you have, the older it is. Exactly. Right. And this occurs occurs in humans, of course, as well. We can track the number of mutations in, in human DNA, and this helps us, for example... Uh, explain how old certain features are and also descent groups and things like this. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Which actually is amazing.
1: (laughs) Of course the problem was that that by the time um, we got to know that HIV was around, it was incredibly diverse because it had actually been in Africa for, you know, 100 years or so. Mm -hmm. And so what scientists had to do was try and find what they call fossil viruses, old viruses. And of course, um, unfortunately, viruses don't leave fossils, but what they were looking for was um, uh, viruses that had, you know, like insects preserved in amber, they'd been Mm -hmm. preserved uh, from earlier times. And um, because West Central Africa, and in particular the Democratic Republic of Congo, seemed to be the place where it had sort of started its life, they went to Kinshasa, the capital of um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and uh, searched around for early pathological samples.
0: Mm -hmm. And what Um, did they find?
1: Uh, well, unfortunately, they, they'd had a, a couple of wars <laughs> and their electricity had not been working for a while. And so they'd lost all their early blood samples that had been stored, for example. And eventually they found one collection of blood samples which had been taken in the Democratic Republic of Congo but had been stored in the United States. And just one of those uh, samples was HIV positive.
2: Mm-hmm. And that was
1: a sample taken in 1959 and they managed to rescue virus sequences from that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But in order to compare, you really need two. So then they found one in the Democratic Republic of Congo in um, a pathological sample, which a biopsy of a lymph node that had been taken from somebody in 1960. And those don't have to be stored frozen. They were just stored at room temperature. So mm-hmm. they managed to get a virus out of that. And comparing those two showed that, that already by 1960, they were pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. And the number of mutations it had that were different between the two of them could be used to trace back to um, say that it probably jumped around uh, 1900.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. It's kind so of it's tri- an
1: incredible bit of detective work. Really. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like expensive. triangulation
0: in a certain way. If you think about it like that, and so they they, they trace it back to this uh, this place, uh, Congo. The, the Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, I can't remember what they're calling it now, um, and, and to around 1900.
1: Well, no, that's not quite correct, because they, the earliest virus they found there was 1959. Mm-hmm. Did I say? Yes. Yeah, you did. And so um, using those viruses, they traced the origin or the jump back to 1900, but that's not to say that that happened in, in
0: Congo. Kinshasa. In Kinshasa.
1: Um, it happened, they now think, in um, the southeast corner of Cameroon,
0: mm-hmm. and why is that? <laughs>
1: because, because um, having isolated lots of viruses from um, China, they pointed the finger at the chimpanzee, and one particular subspecies of chimpanzee um, seemed. This is work that's done on captive chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. you yes. know. So one particular subspecies seemed to be the one that had the virus most related to HIV, and these this um, group then decided to do field studies on these um, animals in the wild to see whether they carried the virus, which was obviously important. And they did a field study in 10 different sites in the Cameroon on um, communities of chimpanzees, and they couldn't use blood samples because chimpanzees are um, a protected species. They're on the endangered species list. So they spent two years um, refining a technique um, of extracting Viral sequences from feces that the produce. <laughs> I mean, it's astonishing. And by the end of the two years, they couldn't only—not only could they get the virus out of these um, fecal samples, they could also uh, tell the species, the subspecies, and even track individual animals from the, the, the DNA that they got out of wow. the feces.
0: That's a, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they found in their ten um, different. Communities of chimps, five of the communities had animals that carried the virus, and just two had um, vi- two of the communities had animals that carried the virus that was most similar to HIV that they said, you know, that it, that it had to be the direct ancestor of, of HIV. Mm-hmm. And these two communities of chimpanzees lived in the very southeast corner of the Cameroon. Cameroon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So there you are. It's yeah. Quite astonishing. I think they'll be coming up with the actual chimpanzee any yeah, minute no, now.
0: It's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, what is a what, what happens to chimpanzees with a- HIV? How, how do they? Uh, how
1: well, do they, that's yeah, yeah. an interesting story actually, because normally, if if a animal has been infected by a virus for a very long time, a balance is sort of, um, you know, and so the virus generally doesn't cause a serious illness, um, and one might expect, for example, that HIV in hundreds of years' times, will cause a, a less severe illness in humans. But anyway...
0: Um, and this is due to, just, just, to fill, just, as, just to sort of fill in the blanks here, this is due to selection.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so yes. there's, some, you know, there's, it's, there's some individuals are the advantage born, of yeah. Both, yeah. both the virus and the humans.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, that the virus, if it kills itself, it has to move on. Mm-hmm. So it's in its interest not to. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's in the interest of humans not to be killed by it. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I thought a balance is struck. Normally, but as it turns out, chimpanzees are uh, do get an AIDS-like illness with this virus. And um, to just to complicate the story more, this seems to be because it's actually quite a recent infection of chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. And uh, when um, the molecular biologists looked at the genome of the chim- of, of the simian immunodeficiency virus in chimpanzees, they discovered it was actually a hybrid of two monkey viruses this is getting a bit complicated no, so, go ahead they, I'm following they sort of now postulate that um, somewhere maybe about a thousand years ago chimpanzees are carnivores and they live on smaller monkeys so maybe um, a chimpanzee was eating you know, two, two separate types of monkeys and uh, got both their retroviruses and they recombined in the chimpanzee to cause to, to form this new virus which
0: has then spread among chimpanzee populations. Mm-hmm. So just to rehearse a little bit, uh, in the interest of clarity, yes. um, we, uh, um, I'm trying to think where to start. So we know this population of chimpanzees has something a little bit like uh, human HIV. We'll call it simian HIV. Um, we know that they passed it to humans somewhere in Cameroon, uh, yes. probably uh, around 1900. And then yes. we're speculating that uh, it's a young infection because it hasn't reached yeah. what we might call it an equilibrium in the population. Yeah. In other words, it hasn't reached that stability that we see with lots yeah. of viruses because it's not in the interest of the virus to kill all the hosts, obviously. So there would be adaptation on the part of the, uh, through selection on the part of the chimpanzees. And, so, and so the hypothesis is that the chimpanzee um, combined two retroviruses by eating the meat of two different monkeys, and then they, they sort of glom together. So my question is now, What d- do viruses do that? Do they, oh, yes. they stick together like that? And,
1: uh, yeah. Yes. They, if, if two viruses, I mean flu viruses, doing it all the time, if two viruses infect the same cell, then their genes may get muddled up and they have come out being you know, hybrids of each other.
0: That's kind of interesting because it reminds me of sexual reproduction.
1: Well, yes. You see what absolutely. I'm saying? It's like
0: viruses don't have sexual reproduction, obviously. Uh, uh,
1: no, is that which, would be yeah, the yeah. next best thing
0: yeah vi- viruses just have us beat on in every way don't they they have <laughs> they yeah but i mean just for the listeners you know because we our, our our genes will change as a result of um, um a mutation but they also change as the, the, the chromosomes change as a result of recombination and things like this Absolutely. And, and what yes. we're talking about here is a, a mechanism an accidental mechanism aren't they all accidental that the viruses have come upon to actually take advantage of recombination in addition to, yes. to, to mutation that's pretty impressive and hiv is
1: doing that as well i mean if if one individual, well, it must—it's quite common. There are all these um, uh, recombinant forms, so-called, of HIV circulating now,
2: uh-huh. which
1: means that that one person got infected by two different strains of the virus and they recombined in that person to form a, a third strain, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: So, mm-hmm. can we take the story back any further than the, re, than the than the agglomeration of these two retroviruses, say a thousand years ago? Is there any way to take it further?
1: Um, I don't. I don't think so. Really. I mean, that event hasn't been timed very accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm just trying to remember the names of the two monkeys. One was called the spot-nosed monkey, I think, and the other I can't remember. Anyway, some kind of a mangabey, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, obviously, the genomes of those viruses have been looked at, and it's quite clear to see that bits of their vi- of those viruses are present in. In the chimpanzee mm-hmm. virus and also in the human virus. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, ma- but
1: exactly timing these things is—it gets more difficult as, yeah. as you know as it goes further and further back, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So, yeah. let me ask this: How does all this historical knowledge help us deal with HIV today?
1: Well, um, its background understanding really, isn't it? And I, if you were asking me how it helps us, um, you know, um, stop the epidemic in its tracks or things like that, it, you know, maybe the answer is it it's not awfully helpful. But it is very important to know what these viruses are doing out there because mm-hmm. um, at any minute another one may jump. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't mentioned it yet, but, you know, there isn't just one HIV. In fact, there are 12 of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and each one has jumped separately um, from uh, primates to humans.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, you know, it's not just a one-off event. It, it happens in these places. And so it, it might happen again tomorrow. And I think, you know, we just really need to be aware of, um, you know, what what are dangerous occupations, how we might help people who are um, hunting these animals, how, you know, um, and how we might prevent it in the future. Mm-hmm. And the more we know about it, then the, the more we can... Um, and it can work
0: like that. Mm-hmm. I think one mm-hmm. thing it does, if I could just chime in here for a second, mm-hmm. um, is that it uh, it squelches or squashes other much less likely hypotheses about the origins of AIDS. I mean, maybe you well, don't have this exactly in the UK, true. but you know there are people who mm-hmm. say that AIDS came from all kinds of places in the United States. And so, just the knowledge that, that well, actually it came from here, I think, uh, is a is an arrow in the quiver of those people that want to deal with it in a kind of scientific fashion. Um, we've shown where it came from, and it didn't yes,
2: come from, uh, you know,
0: yes. I, I won't be specific, but th- that this is the most likely scenario and not one of these other ones that you have, you know, currency in, in the United States. And they, they usually take a kind of conspiratorial form. Again, uh, yes, you know, I don't I know, know if you guys it. have them in the UK, but we have them here. Yes, and, no, we hear about them. Before. And so just, yes. I, you know, I think this, just you know, just this knowledge, this historical knowledge really helps those of us who want to deal with it in a kind of rational scientific fashion.
1: No, i think with that. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, that it's uh, yeah, historians say this kind of thing all the time. But then, you know, you're right. Occupationally speaking, there are probably still people in the bush that hunt chimpanzees, right?
1: Oh, there certainly are, yeah. Yeah,
0: and we can tell them that, you know, this may not be the safest thing that you want to do.
1: No, and I mean, you know, there are other viruses out there. that's the other thing that people are doing uh-huh. now, is looking uh, to see what else there is out there. And, of course, there's a whole menagerie out there. Uh-huh. We take, oh, you know, hundreds of years to sort of map all these viruses. But you know, at least it's the beginning and at, and at least we know what we should be doing.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, you talk about the, um, we, you know, again, I think of, uh, of HIV as a thing. It is one thing. But you, as you say, there are different kinds of it. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Well, um, there basically, there are there's HIV-1 and HIV-2, which are um, really quite, di- okay, they're both retroviruses, but they're quite different from each other. And they came from different types of Animals. So um, HIV 1 and the whole family and its whole family came from the chimpanzee, while HIV 2 came from the monkeys. monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is extraordinary that they both sort of appeared at the same time, but um, nevertheless, it's quite clear that they both jumped from separate animals to humans. And then um, when people started studying HIV 2, uh, it turned out that um, there are at least eight different um, subtypes of that and that they have each jumped from Sooty bees to humans on different occasions. Now, those viruses have not caused a the pandemic. They've stayed local to um, West Africa where the Sooty mangabey lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that's that group. Then the HIV-1 group has jumped. Uh, there's HIV-1 um, group O, M, N, and P. Mm-hmm and that, those are four separate jumps from chimpanzees to humans, uh-huh. and in fact one probably from a gorilla, and uh, but only one of those has caused the pandemic. So huh. it's HIV-1 group M, which is the pandemic virus. Uh-huh. The others have stayed local. I see. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's another question we need to ask. Why is it that one of them managed to go global and the others have not? Mm-hmm. Because that's another piece of information, you know, that would be very useful when we are trying to control another
0: virus. Uh, outbreak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I suppose that the goal for um, those working on HIV as a vaccination, right? Does the fact that there are many different kinds make uh, producing a a vaccination for it more difficult?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the fact that it mutates so quickly makes it difficult, but the fact that there are these different um, types and subtypes and all the rest makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So it may be that they'll have to make a different uh, vaccine for, for you know, different areas of the world, really, where, where um, the virus has spread to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, we just don't know, really. And then, actually, that's what I was going to say about um, knowing about these ancestral viruses that we were talking about. That knowledge might also come in useful when trying to make a vaccine, mm-hmm. because if you can find um, a sequence in one of these uh, ancestral viruses that is common to all of its offspring, uh-huh. then obviously that would be a good one to use to make a vaccine from. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh, or know, if you found
0: a primate population, like a chimpanzee population, that had uh, HIV-1 but was asymptomatic of AIDS. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, that would certainly be um, something to study, to yeah. see how it was managing to um, contain the virus.
0: Uh huh. Uh-huh.
1: But but it now it does seem that they do actually get an AIDS-like illness. Uh
0: huh. I see. Mm. Yeah.
1: So so as far as the vaccine is concerned, you know, it, it's really um, I don't think we can be all that optimistic.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Certainly not for the near future, anyway. mhm,
0: uh-huh, hmm uh-huh. Well, that's sad. Um, do uh, I, I guess one thing that occurs to me? I, I I don't mean to be controversial about this, but do we when we're we're testing vaccines and other sorts of treatments? Do we use chimpanzees that have uh, HIV/AIDS? Sorry,
1: the phone was beeping. I didn't hear the I'm, question.
0: I'm sorry, let me ask again. When we are um, uh, testing uh, vaccines, if we test them, I think we do, and other treatments for HIV-AIDS, do we test them on chimpanzees that have HIV-AIDS? Um, no, I
1: don't think that's the case anymore. Huh. I mean, they certainly have been looked into as an animal model, but um, you know, because they're an endangered species, yeah. they certainly... In the UK, you know, we just don't use them anymore. And I think it, that's not quite the state of affairs in America. I think you are still allowed to use them, but I think they're being phased out, really. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I think it was, um, researchers were quite um, shocked when they discovered that they're only 2% of their genome is different from ours. You yes. know? And people then started to think, you know, they, they appear to suffer from similar sort of anxiety states and depression and all the rest as we do, and I think it's become, um, you know, fairly general, the feeling that we shouldn't really be experimenting on these animals.
0: Well, along the same lines, when we have a chimpanzee in captivity that has HIV and then manifests AIDS, do we treat them?
1: That hasn't actually happened. Uh They've been observed in the wild. I see. And that's where... um, you know, they they've been seen to come down with immunodeficiency. Uh huh.
0: Uh huh. I see. Mm. Um, one question I had was: that all of this research seems so incredibly important and and so uh, productive, really, of of new and useful knowledge. Uh, in your opinion, is it funded sufficiently? <laughs> I don't want to get you into hot water
1: here. <laughs> well, being scientists, I think I would say that nothing is funded sufficiently, <laughs> you know. And this work has taken. Thirty years, you know what we're summarizing here in half an hour has has really been um thirty years' work for these mm-hmm. people, but um you know the groups that are, the research groups talking about in the book are well funded because they're world famous, they're doing fantastic work, you know, and they do get funding mm-hmm. but um I'm sure they would say that if they had more, they could certainly do things maybe faster and you know um so it it's always there's always um a hassle over funding for scientists, I'm afraid.
0: Well, anybody who can uh, identify and trace the origins of a virus in monkey poop or <laughs> chimpanzee poop, <laughs> I should say, good. deserves to sit at my table. I, I think. Totally That's, agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. they're absolutely dedicated, you yeah. know, and they've come up with the most amazing... Information, which is mm-hmm. just, I think, anyway, extraordinary.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you completely, and, and mm-hmm. kudos to them, and kudos for you for writing the book. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time today, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, Dorothy, I want to ask our traditional final question on the New Books Network, and that is, what are you working on now?
1: Well, as a matter of fact, I am working on another book, um, and that's on my favorite virus, the one that I've spent my life working on, Epstein-Barr virus. Um, I'm, I'm writing it with a colleague, because it's the 50th anniversary of the discovery of that virus next year. It was the first human tumour virus to be discovered mm-hmm. and um, we're writing the book to be launched at the uh, 50th birthday party that we're going to be running for the virus. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, I hope people will come
0: along. Well, to I hope book. we can interview you again because you've been really terrific, and I really enjoy these sorts of stories. And, uh, and you know, I, th- I think that people should know more about this kind of stuff. Well, absolutely,
1: yeah, and I've absolutely. enjoyed
0: talking to you as well. All right, great. <laughs> well, uh, today uh, we've been talking with Dorothy Crawford about her book Virus Hunt, uh, The Search for the Origin of HIV. I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. I'm Marshall Poe, the Editor-in-Chief of New Books Network, and, again, thanks. But I especially want to express my appreciation for Dorothy Crawford for being on the show today. Thanks, Dorothy. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.